Before we turn to God's word, let's just pray. Father in heaven, we believe that you want to speak to each one of us this morning. So help us to listen, to understand, and to respond to what you say. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm afraid I really can't remember my first night at boarding school. It's too long ago now. Nearly 50 years. Help. But I really hope, I hope, that I had the courage to kneel down by my bedside. There were about 11 or 12 of us in the dormitory. And I hope, as I say, I had the courage to kneel down and pray and not really worry about what the other boys thought. I can't remember. I think I might have done. I hope I did. Because praying is something that Christians do, rather like training is something that athletes do. But does prayer really work? Is there any point in praying? It's really the kind of questions I want to answer this morning. Now, we've heard a reading in which Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray. And what they were really doing was this. You see, Jewish rabbis gathered around them disciples, followers. And it was the custom for the Jewish rabbi to teach his disciples, his followers, a prayer to say. John the Baptist taught his disciples a prayer to say. And so Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw him praying. They wanted to know how to pray themselves. And he gave them that wonderful set of instructions we call the Lord's Prayer. It's been repeated over and over again by countless people, millions of people, millions of times. You know, it seems to me that Jesus wasn't actually giving people a, a, a kind of prayer to say like an incantation something just to mutter, something just to repeat. I think he was giving them a kind of pattern for prayer because everything is there that prayer should include. It begins with praise and the hallowing or blessing of God's name. Hallowed be thy name or hallowed be your name. That means blessed be your name. It puts God's priorities, the coming of his kingdom, first. It's practical and asks for essential things like daily bread it asks for forgiveness, and it recognizes how easy it is to fall into temptation. That bit about yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, that actually is a later edition, but it's good to say. So if you can learn the Lord's Prayer, if you can commit it to memory, or mums and dads, if you can teach your children, your grandchildren, the Lord's Prayer, you will give them a priceless treasure. You really will. Stalin was the dictator of the Soviet Union during and just after the last war. And he had a daughter called Svetlana. And uh, don't worry, don't worry. You will hear more of that later. Um, his daughter, Svetlana, she was taught not to believe in God. Communists don't really think religion is a good thing. So Stalin decided he was going to bring up his daughter as an atheist. She didn't know anything about God at all. But then, one day she heard someone 
saying the Lord's Prayer. And she thought it was such a wonderful prayer. And in the end, it led her to give her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Eventually, she found a way into real Christian faith. But, you know, I don't believe that Jesus was teaching his friends, his disciples, to pray merely by giving them the Lord's Prayer. Usually, what Jesus did was to tell a story. And we heard Alex reading that story in our scripture reading. But you might like to see another version of the story, which shows how quite a lot of Jesus' stories had a funny element as we watch the video now. Sorry, you couldn't make that 10p, could you? Yeah, Mother's I, going on a no, bit. I, I don't think I am. Um, and that's the there is, there isn't a, 10p. Yeah. Yeah, you, you sure that's all I can do for you? Couldn't do anything else? Should I like, um, write you a check or something? No, 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 those don't fit in the slot. 10p's <laughs> fine. Sleep well. some rather unexpected visitors. And what do you know? No bread. <laughs> bread? He's got no bread. <laughs> you asleep? Yes. Yes, I am asleep. Now, go away. Well, I just want some bread, if it isn't any bother. Just a loaf or two. Three if you've got them. But if you haven't, not to worry. Two would be fine. Three would be ideal, but not to worry especially. A tin of sardines would be out of this world. <laughs> right, one, two, yup, three. And enjoy all the sardines. No, right, okay, fine. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful picture, isn't it? And it seems to me that there are two things out of that story which we really ought to uh, remember. First of all, when we pray, we've got to take it seriously and we 
ought not to give up. The man in the sketch wasn't worried about embarrassing his friends. He was determined to get what he needed. And when we pray, we ought to have that attitude too. And secondly, of course, it shows us that God will answer our prayers. If a grumpy neighbor at midnight will get up and help his friend, even though he moans and grumbles and groans about it, then surely God, who is love itself, won't ignore our prayers. But you see, the important thing to remember is that God wants to talk to us as well as we talking to God. It's a two-way conversation. Supposing you had a conversation with someone and you weren't allowed to say anything to them. You just had to listen. It'd be a bit boring, wouldn't it, really? So we don't want to bore God simply by talking to him. We want to hear him talking to us. And you can talk to him and listen to him anytime, anywhere. The best way to listen to him, actually, is to read the Bible every day. Because when you read the Bible every day, you hear God speaking to you. And you can know that what you read is true. I think I will have a drink of water. We've got to remember that God is never, ever too busy to listen to our prayers and to speak to us. Okay. God is always listening. He's always ready to hear and answer our prayers. That's the most important thing. It's awful when someone you really want to talk to refuses to listen and tells you that they have no time for you. Have you ever had that experience, going up to someone and... Uh, be me. Look, I, I, I can't talk to you now. I'm, I'm busy. I, I really haven't got any time for you. Okay, don't bring me up again. Now, God will never, ever do that. Never. He always has time for you. Okay. I want to tell you true, two true stories. True stories. They both happened a long time ago. But they both show that when Christians pray, God always answers. But sometimes not in the way that you and I may expect. The first is about China. We've been hearing a lot about China these days, haven't we? Not only because they put on the Olympic Games with such a fantastic um, ability but because China is a growing world power. It's difficult to estimate, but there are probably about 90 million Christians in China. 90 million. That's more than the whole population of the United Kingdom. It's about 63 million people in England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, and Wales. But there are around about 90 million. Now, you may think that's a lot, but actually it's not a very big proportion of the population in China. It's quite a small proportion. Nevertheless, 90 million, that's quite a few. How did the Christian faith get to China? Well, there have been missionaries in China since around about uh, 1700. But the big work, the big expansion of the Chinese church happened in the latter half of the 19th century, that's the one before the last, and the first half of the 20th century, the last century, mainly but not exclusively through uh, wonderful missionary societies like the China Inland Mission, 
Now, the first story I want to tell you is about a British doctor called Harold Schofield. And in the spring of 1883, he was working in the northern Chinese province of Shanxi. He'd been out visiting some villages, and he came back, and he went up to his bedroom, and he knelt down, and he prayed, and he prayed with all his might and main. Because he realized, you see, that just one doctor, he wasn't only a doctor, he was a missionary as well. He was there to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. He realized that just one person couldn't possibly meet the need of the tremendous number of people who were there, who depended upon him. And so he prayed. And he prayed with all his heart that God would send people from the United Kingdom, men and women, strong, fit, the best. They had to be the best. Because life in China was very hard. It still is. But in those days, it was even harder. And they had to be prepared to rough it. They they had to be totally committed to loving the Chinese people and loving the Lord, being on fire for the gospel. Well, now... A few days after he was praying, a man came into his clinic with a terrible disease, typhoid fever. You don't usually recover from typhoid fever. Certainly in China at the end of the 19th century, you didn't recover from it. And the man died. But the awful thing is that he infected Harold Schofield with typhoid fever. And in spite of the dedicated efforts of his wife and the nurses there in the clinic. He died. Now, you might think that God had really made a mistake. Here was this man. He was praying for workers to come to the Uni- from the United Kingdom. And what happened was that God actually took away one of the best and finest missionaries he'd sent to China in the first place. God must have made a mistake. Well, if you think that, you'd be wrong. You see, at the very moment that Harold Schofield was praying, at the very moment, seven young men, all of them university graduates, were preparing to leave Britain for China. One day, I'll maybe have the opportunity of telling you the story of the Cambridge Seven, as they're called. It's a wonderful story, but there's no time now. Suffice it to say that they were some of the building blocks that were later to become the China Inland Mission and other missionary societies, too. They were the seed corn, as it were, of the expansion of the Chinese church. Now, supposing Harold Schofield had realized that as he was praying, God was getting ready to send seven young men to China whose work, along with that of others, would produce 90 million Christians. See how God answers prayer. And today, the Chinese church, in spite of being um, persecuted, that means hurt, discriminated against by the government. The government in China is not very happy with the Christian church. In spite of being persecuted, it's growing and growing and growing. And those 90 million Christians, or at least some of them, have made a pledge. They have pledged their lives to do something. And you know what it is? They have pledged their lives to take the good news of Jesus back from China, through India, and Iran, and Iraq and Syria, and back to Jerusalem. All the way winning men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. They've pledged their lives to take the gospel back to Jerusalem. That's quite a challenge for you and me, isn't it, here in Linfield, sitting comfortably in a nice warm church. 
the second story. Second story, I may have told the anchors. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure whether I told the juniors. I, I don't think I did. It's about a wonderful missionary called Amy Carmichael. Does that name mean anything to you? Amy Carmichael? No? Oh, good. You haven't heard the story. Excellent. Well, Amy Carmichael was a feisty lady. She knew her own mind. She was from Northern Ireland. She had uh, a real edge to her personality. On one occasion, when her parents had gone out for the evening and left her at home, they came back to find her, she was about six at the time, on, on the roof. She decided she wanted to have a view from the roof, so she got up on the roof. Little girl of six, there we are. Don't follow her example, Freya. Well, Amy Carmichael went to India as a missionary, but you see, she had brown eyes, and she longed to have blue eyes. And every morning, when she was a little girl, she would get out of bed and look in the mirror and see if the prayer that she'd prayed the night before for her eyes to change from brown to blue had been answered. And she opened her eyes, and there would be brown eyes. And she was so disappointed, but she forgot about this. And she went, as I say, as a missionary to China, uh, to uh, India. Now, at that time in India, I don't know whether it still is the case, but at that time, some of the families had so many children that they couldn't cope with them. So they used to take the girls and the boys as well to Hindu temples and there sell them as slaves. Now, you would think that's a dreadful thing for a mother or father to do. But probably the mother or father couldn't possibly cope with the children. They perhaps couldn't feed them. And by taking them and selling them, they would at least have an opportunity to live, food, and a home. Pretty dreadful home. So Amy Carmichael used to dress up as an Indian woman. She would put a sari on. She would stain her face with tea. And she would go into the temples, and there she would buy the children. And she would take them home to a place called Donover, a community which still exists of orphaned children. They've grown up now, of course. But there are still children, homeless, rejected children. I've met some of those kids when I was in India, only for about three weeks, a couple of years ago. But I can tell you, children are still rejected on the streets of India. There's no question of that. Amy Carmichael would, would, would bring them home to Donover, and, and she created a family there. And one day, she was telling the children about how she used to pray for blue eyes and how God hadn't answered her prayer. And one of them, a little boy, looked at her and he said, Amma, that's what they used to call her, Amma, I know why God didn't answer your prayer and give you blue eyes, because no Indian woman has blue eyes. Only brown eyes. And you couldn't stain your eyes with tea, could you? She had to have brown eyes for the work that God had for her to do. So when we pray, don't expect God always to say yes. Sometimes he says no because he's got to say no. So a little boy said to his granddad, when he saw him shaving with a cutthroat razor. You know what a cutthroat razor is? Long blade that you sharpen on a leather belt. 
and you put all the leather on your face and you scrape it going <laughs> that's why I gave up shaving and he said to his granddad, he said, Granddad, can I have your razor for real? And the only answer love could give is no. And sometimes God says no. But he says no because no is the loving and the best answer. And the final thing I want to share is just in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 11. Jesus does something quite remarkable. He says the same thing six times over. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. I think he's trying to get a message through, don't you? Amen.